Okay, good morning. Welcome this morning. It's good to uh, see you all. Glad you're here on this uh, this beautiful Lord's Day uh, that we can gather and worship and to study and to think about the Lord. Um, this is week three of the class starting points for Christian ethics, and so I want to spend a little bit of time this morning to uh, review the last couple of weeks and then jump into our new uh, material for week three. So I want to begin, though, in Second Peter. So if you have your Bibles, we can turn to Second Peter chapter 1. And that'll be our launching point uh, for a little bit of our discussion this morning. So it's 2 Peter chapter 1. And we will start in verse 3. 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 3, we'll read... His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities, so nearsighted, he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, (laughs) brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, we're grateful this morning for a new day, a day that you have created. You have brought us through the night watches and have watched over us. Grateful for your kindness to us in that way, giving your people sleep and bringing us now to this day, your day, that we can worship you, think about ethics here in Sunday school and then Go into the service and worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray for our time this morning as we think about all that you have given us in your word uh, to equip us to be obedient to you, um, to add to our understanding of you, to become better followers of you. And uh, I pray that we would see that by your spirit, you would help us this morning, this day, this coming week in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships, at work, and among the brethren here, brothers and sisters uh, at Faith Community Church. So help us this morning as we continue on in our study of ethics. Would you favor us? Give us wisdom by your word. 
we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a quick uh, review from the last couple of weeks. This week we are, uh, our topic this morning is the source of uh, ethical standards. But the first week we defined ethics. We wanted to define ethics. And then last week we wanted to talk about the basis of ethics. So let's just do this because we've slept a few times since then. What is our, defin- our working definition that we're using for ethics in this class, what does the whole Bible say about those three things? Acts, attitudes, and personal character traits that are pleasing to the Lord and those that are not, or that receive His approval and those that are not. That's our working definition of ethics. Acts, attitudes, personal character traits. I just keep those in my head. Because we want to say it's more than action. Right? Ethics is more than just doing the right thing. There's something deeper going on in our hearts, in our character, in our, in our discipleship. <clears throat> so, uh, and then we made a distinction between ethics and morality. We said ethics is the ought, ethics is the standard, and the morality is, are we aligning with that standard? Morality is aligning with the ethical standard. Immorality is falling short of that ethical standard. Uh, And then last week, we answered uh, the, well, and we followed up on that, was why study ethics? So what is ethics, and then why study ethics? And I think we had three or four uh, items on that. Uh, I was furiously taking notes last Sunday in the middle of Pastor Logan's sermon, because he uh, went straight to what some of the things that we were talking about, or I want to talk about, we are talking about, and I would commend and recommend that you go back and listen to uh, that whole sermon, but there's a portion of the sermon where he talks about the redeemed, where we are as redeemed people. He talked about fall, right, pre-fall, right, in the garden, and then our fallen state, and then our redeemed state, and then our glorified state, and where we are, and whether we can sin or not. You remember that a little bit? Okay, so the, the one part that I just... Uh, wanted to review with you from that sermon was in this redeemed state. Those of us who have been made new by God, uh, given new hearts. Did you hear, and he went to Romans 6, but there was, I'm just going to give you the three items that he gave us. He said, when we're in in this redeemed state, that we are able to please God. Able to please God. Uh, And able not to sin. Those are, those are the kind of the two big parts of that. And he said, why is that true? Why are we able to please God? When you think about ethics, it's like, well, that was one of the reasons. Like, why study ethics? So that we can be obedient. So that we can love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and then we said there is this manner of life, the way we ought to live. And we looked at several scriptures from that last week. And then Pastor Logan and in the providence of God, and that sermon, he comes to this, and I thought, this is fantastic. So why are we able to please God? Why are we able not to sin? And he said it's because of the new covenant, because of the promises of the new covenant, what's true of the new covenant. And he gave three things. So I'm just going to review those with you. Christ has fulfilled the law. Uh, he has given us a new heart that now that we desire to do good, where before we didn't, the law has been written on our hearts, and we've been given the Spirit of God. 
to empower us to do good, to be obedient. And uh, I just was so thankful the Lord put the the Holy Spirit just the way he orchestrated that. Uh, So I would recommend you go back, think of that, read that, listen to it. Um, But we can please, we are able to please God. Um, Wayne Grudem, I don't have it with us. I was telling you, that's some of the text that I use for this class. And he said, I think sometimes in, in the circles that we're in, we, we talk about human depravity and we, we, we know the doctrines of grace and we know how wicked our hearts are. And, we, and sometimes we get all, I, 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 there's nothing that I can do to please God. I just can't please God. I'm just such, such a reprobate, such a sinner. But in the new covenant, right, we've been given new hearts. We've been, been given the spirit of God to uh, cause us the desire and to even empower us to do well. So we can please God. And that's a good, that's, that's encouraging. Uh, to do so uh, so that's I think that's still the first week then last week uh, this is still review what is the basis for ethics we're thinking about ultimate authorities or the ultimate authority a starting point a first principle the basis for ethics do you remember how we answered that yes yeah, so so we all want to say the bible right which is absolutely true but we we took even a step further Back behind the Bible, What's, what, what is behind that? We said the character of God. When we reject God as the absolute base, when our culture rejects God as the absolute basis for right and wrong, good and evil, what are we left with? And I think we, we kind of talked about that. We're, we're left with the self. We're left with feelings. We're left with... Um, uh, where are my notes here? Uh, happiness, whether I should just do this out of pure duty, uh, maybe I should do this out of pure virtue and, and just because I'm a virtuous person, and, um, but we're left with feelings, we're left with this subjectivism, and when, when we uh, remove um, God as the absolute basis for ethics. So we said we need an objective standard outside of us that transcends culture and time and place and people. And I'm going to look at that. We're going to pick up right here. This expressive individualism, uh, if we reject God as our ultimate standard, and the culture does this, and, and David Wells talks about this, this expressive individualism. I'm going to quote, Expressive individualism, then, is driven by a deep sense of entitlement of being left alone. Don't tell me what to do. Leave me alone to live in a way that is emancipated from the demands and the expectations of others, to be able to fashion its own life in the way that it wants to, to be able to develop its own values and beliefs in its own way, and to resist all authority. To be free in these ways, many have come to think is indispensable to being a true individual. Like um, the, the pastors went this week to a conference in Atlanta, and one of the messages was focused primarily on Psalm 2. And if you remember in Psalm 2, the nations rage, and they say, let us cast off Let us cast off the fetters that God has placed in society. Let us cast these off. We don't want to live 
the way God tells us to live. And that's this expressive individualism. We need an objective standard, an outside, something that transcends culture, time, place, people. This expressive self, uh, you think about, they, they want to do it their way. I, wanna, I, I don't want to follow any of the rules. Uh, but Wells makes the argument this expressive self becomes the liberated self. Like, I, I'm now finally free. I have no rules that I have to follow. The expressive self finds itself as a liberated self, which ultimately ends up as the empty self. Um, they, there is no meaning, uh, ultimately, in that kind of person's life. So, I want to stop. We talked about the basis for ethics, and we said that the ethical demands of Scripture find their basis in God's character. Okay, it's God's character. So I'm going to start there. Is where we left off last Sunday. Why is it absolute? I keep saying we need this objective standard. We need an absolute standard of right and wrong. A standard that's true for all people, all places, all times. So could you, could you think through that? Like, why is it absolute? When we, when we come to Scripture, we say that this is absolute truth. He's, he's eternal. Say again? He's self-existing and eternal. Because God is self-existent and eternal. Good. He never changes. He never changes. Good. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. We might actually look at some of these. Uh, there's some other scriptures we might look at in there. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. Uh, the eyes of the Lord go about to and fro over the earth. Good. What else? Anything? How, how would you... We, we, we all... This is for, for this room here. This is... Yes. This is, well, this is what we believe. How would you help other people who... Don't care about the Bible. See this. Uh, because um, what is true here is true for everyone. Seven billion people on the planet. Um, how, how, do we, how do we think through that? And what you guys are doing, everything that you are saying is you're going back to God's character, which is absolute. Okay? So... I just want to, let's look at a few verses uh, to kind of work through this. Psalm 96, if you want to see this, Psalm 96. Sort of a... It, it picks up at the end of Psalm. Well, let's start at 96, verse 11. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. See, roar, and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest ever sing, uh, sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. Now, so all of nature recognizes this, right? The heavens, the earth, the, the roar of the sea. Nature recognizes what's about to happen. Verse 13, before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, the peoples in His faithfulness. There is one judgment, there's one standard of righteousness that God will bring to bear for the whole world. Not just for Christians, right? There's one standard for judgment. Um, 
turn to Acts 17. I think this is, this is helpful when we're thinking about neighbors outside of the church, those we run into at work, at the grocery store. Why is it true for them? Why is God's standard of righteousness true for everybody? Uh, Acts 17, you're familiar with this. Paul is in Athens. Um, And look at Acts 17 starting in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he uh, himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps find their way toward him. Just from right there. Now, he's speaking to the Athenian pagans. They don't have the Bible. They don't care about the Bible. They don't care about the covenants. They don't care about anything that God gave Israel. He's speaking to the Athenian pagans. What's uh, Even from these verses, what can we say? Why is it absolute? We haven't gotten to judgment. Judgment comes in verse 31, or, or uh, verse 30. Look, drop down to verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands, and here's your all-encompassing word, all people everywhere to repent. All people everywhere. That's everybody. And why is that based on the first verses that we read? Creator. 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 I mean, everything goes back to Genesis 1. You deny God as creator, there is no ethical standard. Uh, He commands all people everywhere to to repent, verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Of this he has given assurance by all by raising him from the dead. Christ is raised, repent. That's the message that Paul's giving to pagans. So we don't try to come to like, eh, I've got to figure out, like, how do I bring some cultural insight to this person? Or, or how could I bring some news, uh, something I read on the internet? It's Christ is Lord of all. He's raised from the dead. He's going to judge the world in one standard of, of righteousness. Therefore, repent. Um, and we see this uh, as well here in Acts. Just a few pages over to Romans 1. This is again very familiar. Romans chapter 1. And... Uh, there is this progression that Paul goes through. He's, he's speaking of uh, those. He's not speaking to Israel at this point. Verses one, uh, chapter 1, 18 and following. He's just speaking of the general uh, people of the world. But look, look down at verse 28. Chapter 1, verse 28. Romans 1. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Here again. Here again. Acknowledge God, right? You you remove Genesis 1 from your worldview. This is what happens. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought, there's our word, ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, mal- uh, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, in- inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Here it is. Here it is. Though they know God's righteous decree, they know God's righteous decree. Why? Well, you go back to what you all said. He is creator and he has created us, all of us, in his image. The fact that we, seven billion people on the planet, are all image bearers. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. God's standards of his ethical demands come from his very character. His character is absolute. We're created in the, in the image of God. God's righteous standard is for all people, all places, all times. Okay. I'll stop there. Thoughts, questions? Let me read you a quote. Uh, this is from David or from Wayne Grudem. Uh, quote, what ought to be, what ought to be is God's moral character. What ought to be is God's moral character. And whatever happened, or I'm sorry, and also whatever he approves of his creatures as consistent with his moral, moral character. So as, as so far as we align with his moral, moral character, he approves that. That's our question, right? What are those acts, attitudes, character traits that are approved by God? <laughs> Continuing on in the quote, if there is no God, as many people believe today, then it follows that all claims about, quote, moral values are merely human inventions. And if all our claims about moral right and wrong are just human inventions, then how can any one person have the right to say that his moral values are better than anyone else's? Second quote. This is from John Frame. When God says something, now this is... This is when God says something, it is never a mere fact. It is also a norm. It's normative. God's word bears his lordship attribute of control, authority, and presence. And his authority makes whatever he says normative for us. That's, what, that's 7 billion people. Whatever God says then is normative. If he says something, there is an ought attached to it. End quote. If he says something, there is an ought, because of just the very nature of who God is, there is an ought attached to it. So God is absolute in his nature because he is absolute. His moral and ethical commands are absolute on all his creation. And the fact that you and I are created, we are creatures, we are image bearers of the same God, then he commands, then his commands are true for all people, all places, all times, all cultures, universal. Is this, is this making sense? Just the, how we would think through this? It's not just for those called out ones. It is for us, but it's for everybody. Um, yes? Is that the, you know, people make a distinction between descriptive and prescriptive scripture. What you're saying is, even if it's descriptive, even if it's not giving a directive, it's still applicable. It's, there's still something for you to either apply in action, attitude, or... 
Yeah, I would be. I would want to be careful. That um, I hear what you're saying. What we learn when we when we read sometimes into the descriptive narratives, that we're learning principles. Perhaps we're learning about the character of God, what He does love, what He what He hates. Um, and but we don't want to take it too far. So the the indicative is not always the imperative. Okay. So what's what's being described, what's descriptive, does not. Always, because sometimes there's narratives in scriptures that you would not want to follow, right? Um, but right, we're we're here, we're seeing, and I think you're part of just reading scripture is is seeing principles, not necessarily commands, because that those are imperatives, but principles uh, that that would be uh, reflective of who God is. Okay. So yeah, uh, so here's the here's kind of the relationship. We are image bearers. Therefore, we are moral beings, and therefore we are morally accountable and morally obligated to obey God. And again, I'm just I'm speaking in universals because it, because of it's true. Okay, so all people are moral beings. All people are morally accountable. Um, so yeah. Um, He's only using one standard of judgment when it comes to judging the whole world. Okay, that was a long review. That was still. I mean, that's addition to week two. Uh, any thoughts? Any more questions on that? I just want to make sure you understand where we're headed. So when we, because we're just laying foundations right now. Uh, but I want you to make to make sure that we understand that these are not just for the church, but they are for all people. Absolutely. The difficulty is when you get to application, having that conversation that immediately goes to Christ, right? Because they're not owning up to what they know is true. This is Romans 1, uh, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. uh, Because what God has shown in the creation proves there is a God. And... Um, so a lot of times we are trying to get people to change the fruit. We, we heard this at this uh, conference that we were at. And we want to change the fruit. We don't like what we see in culture. We want to get rid of uh, drag queen story hour. We don't like this. We hate these kind of things. So let's go for that. And the problem is, and this is Vody Bauckham. This is not me. Vody Bauckham said this. He said, that's fruit, not root. There's something deeper going on. This is just a manifestation of, of rejecting Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Yeah. Right, so, so how do you go to uh, straight to the, the fact that people need to own up to the Lordship of Christ? Um, that's where the challenge is. Um, and we, I, we won't have to get into that right now, but I'm just acknowledging that. All right, I just lost my notes. Here we go. We will now move on to our, this is week three, so we get to talk about our third topic. So we talked about definition of ethics, basis for ethics, and now I want to speak on the source of ethics, which we've already sort of addressed. Since the basis of ethics is the very character of God, how do we know God's character? Where do we find God's character? 
in his word, right? So we got, so we got, we started with scripture and then we backed up to talk about his character. Now we're back to scripture, okay? So here's how I want to define this. The basis of ethics is the very character of God as revealed in scripture, okay? As revealed in scripture. So the Bible teaches us ethics, the Bible is the source, that's my argument for the rest of this morning, uh, this class, is the Bible is the source of our ethical standards. Because it's based on the character of God, which we said is the ultimate basis. Right? Um, so what I want to do is just, and this probably is a lot of review for you just in general, uh, but this is what is, would be more of a survey of biblical, of, of the doctrine of the Bible. That makes sense. The doctrine, the actual doctrine of Scripture. Several weeks ago, Pastor Logan um, talked about canon, and we, prior to preaching, and um, you know, we skipped over that section in John because he, he went through thinking through what is it, what is the truths about Scripture, and he talked about canon. This is similar. What are what do we? What are the foundational presuppositional truths? Prior arguments, prior assumptions that we come to when we come to this text. Okay. And you know these, you probably know these terms. Uh, we, we're thinking about the authority of Scripture. We're thinking about the inerrancy of Scripture. Thinking about the necessity of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. Okay, So I, what I want to do, I don't know the last time you were perusing our statements. Well, we, we looked at them every week in our confession of faith. But when was the last time you read our statement of faith? Our, foundation, our documents for, this, for the church. So I want to read to you the two statements that, that, uh, that this church subscribes to regarding the Word of God. Okay? Our Confession of Faith, Article 1, says this. We believe that Scripture... Can, you might have this memorized. We've said it a lot, right? We believe that Scripture, consisting of the 66 books of the Bible, is inspired by God and is infallible, inerrant, Absolutely authoritative over all of life and faith. Okay? So did you hear the words that came out of that? Inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative. Absolutely authoritative. That's our confession. Now I'm going to read a little bit longer piece from our statement of faith. This is Article 1, the Word of God and our statement of faith. We believe the canon of Scripture consisting of the 66 books of the Bible to be the complete and revealed Word of God. We believe the Bible to be wholly sufficient, like that, as the final authority for the church, the rule of life to the believer, and the standard by which everything must be measured. We believe the Scripture and all of its parts were given by the inspiration of God and are without error in the original autographs. Now, just uh, autographs, if you recall from Pastor Logan's sermon, was uh, autographs are the actual originals. So we have manuscripts that are the copies of the autographs. We believe that the uh, Scripture in all of its parts are without error in the original autographs. And so, to his point in that message, there are some textual variants in the manuscripts, not in the autographs. The autographs are infallible and error, all that. Does that make sense? So just so we're clear on that. Um, so those are our two statements, and that's where I want to go for the, the remainder of our time. The authority, so 
when we get confused about culture, when we get, when we get troubled about what's going on and all of the ethical dilemmas that we see all around us, these have to be our bedrock as we come to Scripture. Yes, I believe in the authority of Scripture. There is no higher authority. Um, it's, it's not what I feel or what I want. Uh, our only absolute authority for defining right or wrong. So you know this one, 2 Timothy 3.16. But let's go there. I want to actually go on either side of that. Second Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy. We can actually start in verse 14, 2 Timothy 3, 14. But as for you, you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Here we go. Sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All Scripture. All Scripture. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now you see action, right? Good work. But all Scripture is breathed out by God. And then Second Peter, uh, we were just there, but Second Peter chapter 1, and we didn't get this far in our first reading, but Second uh, Peter 1.20. Second Peter 1.20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Our Bi- the Bible is our final authority because it has been breathed out by God. It are the very words of God. Uh, there is a definition that I used to use a long time ago. It actually comes from, um, I'm using Wayne Grudem in this ethics class, but there, he also wrote a, a text, a systematic theology text. I used to use this all the time back when I was teaching 7th and 8th graders on the, the, de- the definition of inspiration. Um, God guided, so from 2 Timothy 3.16 and so forth, God guided the biblical writers so that he... I'm sorry, so that they wrote exactly what he wanted them to write. Right? So that, and we even see this here. Verse 21 in 2 Peter, No prophecy ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So they're writing as real people, right? They're not robots. They're writing Scripture, but they're being carried along by the Holy Spirit. God guided the writers so that they wrote exactly what he wanted them to write. So what we have is inspired by God. Okay? Um, and that's the foundation, that's the, that's the basis as we think about its authority. It's authoritative because it's God's word. Not tradition, not experience, not results. Oh, should I make this ethical choice based on what might happen? Right, what are the perceived results that might happen? 
Not on culture, not on feelings, not on impressions, but on the authoritative Word of God. Will we stand on God's Word? Come what may, no matter what happens in the future, will we stand on the authority of Scripture? The Bible is the final authority. Um, Inerrancy, we said this, there are no errors in the Bible. We are reading this in our uh, documents without error in the original autographs. It's it's infallible, meaning it's incapable of failing. It's incapable of faltering, of failure. Um, And I think these are evident. We talk about the inerrancy of Scripture. um, But let's think about the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. When you think of the word necessity, what do you think of? What what is necessary for life? What do you think about life? What what is necessary for life? Air. 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 You don't have air. It's not going to be very long. Water. We think of the necessities. At some point, it needs some nourishment, food. That can be down the way, down the road quite a ways. But I must have air. Or I will perish. I must have what necessity. So when we come to the scriptures and we say the scriptures are necessary, what do we say? I must have them. I have to have them for all of life. Again, here's a definition. It's not my own. Uh, It's from this text. The Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel. You have to. I can't know the gospel apart from his reveal, from his special revelation. I can know that God exists. That's general revelation. That's Romans one. Uh, you know, God created, and by these things we know that He exists. But I can't know the gospel. I can't know. I can't have a saving relationship apart from special revelation. So it's necessary for knowing the gospel. It's necessary as a means of grace for maintaining spiritual life. And vigor. It's our food. And it's necessary for knowing God's will. And this is where it's applicable for ethics. How do I know what acts, attitudes, and personal character traits are pleasing God? I go to Scripture. And the question that has to keep ringing in our mind is what has God said? What has God said about these things? What has God said about chat GPT? Chapter and verse. I don't think you can answer that. No. <laughs> this is my, this, I'm going somewhere with this. What, is, what has God said about uh, artificial intelligence? Chapter and verse. So as you see, we come to these things. We're like, well, okay, what are we going to do? We have these ethical dilemmas. I got to go to scripture and just say, you know, we're, we're, we know that the Bible is necessary for knowing God's will. What is God's will in this way? This is where this is where the real work begins, because <clears throat> there is no chapter and verse. But what is there? How would we start to think about ChatGPT, AI? What principles? Principles. So we go back, ringing in our ears. What has God said? What principles can I start to think about uh, when we think about artificial reality? You just take that first, you take either word, 
artificial, but probably reality is a better word to start with. What is reality? And you can start thinking, okay, I'll go, I, I can go there with the Bible and that. God defines reality. This, right? And so you start to develop principles and thinking. Uh, and so when I say it's necessary for knowing God's will, we, we also have to understand, certainly it doesn't say, every, it's not exhaustive about everything that ever was, that ever will be. But it does tell us everything we need to know principally or by command. Everything we need to know. That's why we read, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. He's given us everything we need. He's given us a sufficient word. He's given us a necessary word. And it's learning how do we... This is what... We have to know our Bibles. And to... um, be studying that. So um, we must. So back to the, we must have the Bible in order to know what God has said about right and wrong. So here's the thing from um, Romans two. Uh, do we? Have, oh goodness! Look at that. Go to Romans two. If you need to go pick up your children from Sunday school, that's great. You won't. You won't offend me or hurt my feelings. But I'm going to keep going just for a few more minutes. Romans chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 14. Romans 2, 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. Verse 15, now this, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There is a sense in which people know God and they actually know that there is a right and wrong. Right here, they have the law written on their hearts while their conscience bears witness. The work of the law is written on their hearts. But by virtue of the fact, go back to what we said earlier, that we are image bearers. We are all moral agents, all moral beings. We are all morally accountable. God has written these things on our conscience. Here's the difference, and this is why I say the Bible is necessary, because there is a sense in general revelation gives some clues to God's demands, God's ethical demands, good, right, and wrong, good and evil. But these are imperfect, certainly because of sin, right? because of our, a person's unregenerate heart. They're not going to be able to decipher and analyze and, and think through what they're seeing in general revelation to tell them exactly what God demands. There's this general sense of right and wrong written on their conscience but it's not complete, and it's imprecise, and it's imperfect. And so the explicit is in Scripture. The explicit commands are in Scripture, what God tells us about right and wrongs. The clear commands, the definite commands, the authoritative commands. General revelation is not authoritative. A general sense of right and wrong for someone who's never heard the gospel, who's never picked up a Bible, a general sense of right and wrong, is truly written on the heart, but it's not authoritative in the, in the way that Scripture is authoritative. Okay? 
So we must have, it's necessary to have the Bible. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? <clears throat> and then sufficiency and... Uh, so we talk about authority, inerrancy, sufficiency, I'm sorry, necessity, sufficiency. Uh, let me give you the definition and then we can, we can close here. I'll pick it up on next week. Next week, uh, what is our goal next week? This week was uh, the source of ethical standards, the scriptures. Next week is the goal of ethics. So we'll pick up this and then we'll move into the goal of ethics Sufficiency. The Bible contains all the words that we need. Uh, I'm sorry. The Bible contains all the words of God that we need for salvation. Talked about that a little bit. We we have to know the gospel. All the words that we need for salvation, for trusting God perfectly, and for obeying God perfectly. In other words, I do not need... It's sufficient. I don't need to go somewhere outside of this to know how to obey God perfectly. It's not out there, it's here. Right, so when the culture is telling you, well, you, you know, Christians, you need to do these things. No, Scripture tells us, we're bound by Scripture, tells us what is right and wrong. I don't need to find a word from God out there, a word from anyone else out there. I can obey God perfectly by what is in here, by knowing what is in here and living by what is in here. Okay? Which again goes back to, we need to, I need to know my Bible. Better than I know it now. I'll end with this. I, do you, I don't know. This is way off. It's kind of this, but it's not in ethics. Been, you know, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you, you've been reading your Bible. And Do you ever find that you're, you just aren't as far as you want to be in your understanding of Scripture? I have been reading the Bible for a, for a long time, and I... I feel like my time is, obviously, as we get every year, we get older, and my time is getting shorter to really know this. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface sometimes. And so that's encouraging to, I mean, on the one hand, it's encouragement to let's know our Bibles. Um, I I just want to keep reading it. I want to keep knowing it. Uh, So maybe that's the encouragement for you as we go this week, as we think about the source of ethics is the scriptures. It is uh, ethical standards. And um, so we'll review a little bit of this next week and go into what is the goal of ethics. Let me pray for us and then uh, we can go. Our Father, thank you for this morning, for the time, the brief time that we can just stop and consider your word, consider how it is authoritative it is sufficient it is necessary for knowing you and loving you and obeying you and knowing what you have said help us as we read our bibles this week uh, that you would by your by your spirit give us um, love for you love for your word love for obedience um, give us insight And as we continue this morning, would you go before us? We are grateful that we can gather as your people to worship. Bless the preaching of your word, the reading of your word, the prayers of your people, the uh, singing of great songs. They would be glorifying to you and and for the building up of your church. So go, we ask before us in Jesus' name. Amen.